Welcome to Pathfinder Academy. Class is now in session. Here are your professors, Caleb and Christian. Thank you all for staying. You may be seated. In today's extra credit, we'll be covering other encounters that we have participated in or designed that we thought taught an interesting concept or were just interesting in some way. We are just going to be talking about how cool we are and how cool our own encounters are, so buckle down and get ready. It's going to be all about us this time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> this is my turn to shine. No more Paizo books and other GMs. This is my turn to show how awesome I am. And if you disagree with me, well, I can't do much about that because this is America. Looking at the notes, Caleb's going to have a lot of encounters that he himself have made and implemented. I don't have as much of those, and I don't think they're anywhere near as interesting. So the majority of what I'm going to be talking about are the ways that I've taken encounters from Paizo books and made them more interesting than they were going to be. Which is an important uh, skill to have because not just the pre-made adventure paths are awesome. Sometimes, you know, GMs, you put your own flavor into it. And so it's good to see how somebody experienced like you has done that. I think it's a really important skill to learn if you're going to be running pre-made stuff. It took me actually quite a while to become comfortable with twisting things around and changing stuff to make sure it was still balanced and still fit within the story. We talk about one that was a very basic encounter I made, but it illustrates uh, listening to your players. We were playing, and we had done a lot of role-playing recently, and a player's talking and just saying, hey, we would like to just fight something soon. So I was like, okay, next next session I will design an encounter for you. Oh, no, no, it wasn't even. It was like that session. I said, okay. So they were in an area that was near like a foresty swamp area, and I said, uh, all right, the the NPCs are talking about how there's a Hydra around, and no one will believe this old guy who said he saw a Hydra. And the party's like, oh, oh, we'll go find the Hydra. And so they go out and fight. I mean, this is a basic monster that's in the manual, uh, probably challenging for lower-level players. But the higher level you are, the less challenging you are. But they, they were below 10 at this point. And it's so, like it's only like a CR three for the Hydra, right? The default Hydra, something like that. Yes, that's correct. But there's a template, like a secondary, better version on the same page that I had to use because my players were above level three, and I didn't want the it didn't want it to be too easy. They would have just crushed the average one. So there's another one right. like breathes fire or something. I don't remember exactly. It was it was a while ago. So I I threw that one at them. So they went into the swamp and, and they encountered the Hydra and had to fight the Hydra. And it was a standard encounter in so much as that there was the boss and there was a bunch of little underlings. There was some crocodiles around that would try to grab them. Crocodiles, if you don't know, have the ability to grab so they can – you're going to have to deal with a lot of um, – grapple as it were and so it was just a basic encounter where they had to fight a hydra who had an interesting mechanic i didn't have to design an interesting mechanic for this boss the hydra if you don't use uh, i think it's bashing or, or anything but slashing damage its neck will regrow if you use slashing it'll just regrow so you gotta like bash it or burn it or something that way the head doesn't regrow or you could just do a certain amount of hp damage to it my players uh did not end up figuring out the whole part about how to make sure their heads don't regrow. So they ended up killing it by just just ludicrous amounts of damage over time. But it was just a normal encounter where they had to split their attention between dealing with the boss and his interesting mechanic and dealing with a bunch of, a few, maybe, I think I had like four or five crocodiles just to deal with. And those were very low level. They were easy to deal with. Their problem was just that they would grapple you. So you're like, ugh, gotta get rid of them. And that's actually a problem I run into a lot in pre-written stuff and that I don't think that just one enemy can be very challenging unless they have very unique special mechanics, or basically they cheat. I think single enemies have to cheat. Um, recently I ran something, and there was two instances of that you were just supposed to fight just one single person that I just changed slightly to make more interesting. Uh, this is at least one of these fights. Actually, both these fights uh, you were part of, Caleb. This was during the Harrowing. Okay. 
at some point they're supposed to fight a paladin the paladin believes that he's very very zealous and he's very opposed to the party basically regardless of what they say he's kind of like brainwashed and he acts like he's all big and tough but he's just one dude who's a paladin that has to walk up and hit them with a sword he's not very tough at all he's actually very easy to beat so i just wanted to throw something into the fight to make it more challenging and more memorable um i should mention that this whole area they were in is like basically a twisted alice and wonderland kind of land which is why everything's kind of a particular brand of crazy so i just looked through the beast jerry and i was like oh what can i throw in with a paladin to make him seem more holy to make them believe that he is actually like this lawful good paladin so i found a uh, lantern archons i just threw in two lantern archons and there's they're just these little floating metal holy constructs that glow light and they can heal people and that ended up being a huge i gave them their own little personalities um they talked like newscasters and they ended up being a really big component of the fight they were healing the paladin as they were fighting so that actually split everyone's attention some people wanted to shoot the lantern archons and other people were going after the paladin and you know they were trying to take them out while it was healing him and i just think it added a lot to the fight and i actually got to bring back the lantern archons later into a bigger fight and you know what that's like a hilarious thing when you have something like that somebody did something similar um Who's that guy we always praise? Chris? Chris Perkins. Chris Perkins. I guess all, I guess a lot of good GMs have their name Chris in it, huh, Christian? <laughs> uh, Chris Perkins uh, did something similar to that that I thought was hilarious. You know, like, the two old Muppets, uh, and they just, like, make fun of people, and they're constantly sarcastic? Yeah, yeah, He had two gargoyles that were practically them just commentating the whole battle. Just kind of like what you were doing. It's such a clever, clever thing to do. And I say that just to illustrate, no one has ever has any original ideas anymore. Somebody else exactly. has already done it. But it was, it's hilarious, and it would just really kind of loosen things up, especially a campaign that I think we were laughing a lot. So it was good to continue to have that laughing in-game, uh, in, in combat. And, like, even though they were wimpy little lantern archons, like, they had DR slash evil. So, like, they still took a shot or two to kill. It wasn't like, oh, well, I'm just going to shoot it. It was like, ding, ding, ding. Okay, now it's dead. Right. And we got to piss off the paladin when we killed him, which was great. <laughs> Hated that guy. Let's talk about having your your setting, your environment, be an interesting part of a battle. I had my players go into a another world, an alternate dimension, if you will, that was kind of futuristic. Uh, maybe you guys are kind of a cyberpunky kind of. And so they were on this tram that was moving at uh, ludicrous speeds. And uh, when they were on the tram, they weren't authorized. So the security activated. And the security was a bunch of these uh, soldiers that, that looked like they were made of crystals. Now this is, uh, I was skinning. If you don't know what skinning is, is where you take a, a beast and the beast Jerry and just describe it differently, but leave all the stats the same. There was some crystal thing that looks like a scorpion. I've forgotten the name at the moment. I'm sure you can just easily find it uh, by that description. It's very vibrant and colorful. And I just changed the way it looked had the same attacks and all that and so having to fight it they were trying to fight this thing and in come guys on jetpacks these guys in jetpacks i skinned them from harpies uh and just they had to fight this battle and it would have been a normal battle you got battle it would have been a normal battle and you would have to find some <laughs> super things to fight there's guys on the ground you got to deal with there's guys in the air you got to deal with all right it's simple but because this tram was moving occasionally it would come across things and the entire party would hear burn and be like, what's that noise? And they'd see all the guys on the ground would take a knee, and all the jetpack guys would fly up a little higher. And it only took once for them to figure out what it was when a giant bar that was just like, that the, the tram was going under, almost like a low-hanging bridge, came and just like knocked all the party on their butt. Everyone who was kneeling or flying didn't get hurt. So when that happened in the future, they heard, Nurr. They had to choose, am I going to continue to attack with my turn, or am I going to try to avoid that damage by spending my turn, you know, ducking or dropping prone or whatever? Um... So that kind of lets you have an interesting 
more decision making to do in the standard battle. They've got something else to worry about and to decide what to do with their actions. They, I'm surprised they didn't figure it out immediately. Like the whole, they were on the train and people, like, you know, ducked down. I thought that would be like, oh, Jackie Chan does this all the time. I know exactly what's <laughs> happening. Listen, my party's very bloodthirsty. And they're like, okay, extra damage, fine. You don't want to do nothing, sit there. Are they considered prone? Do they have minus four to AC? I'm going to full round action him. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> And, you know, and whenever you have a thing that's going, like, ludicrously fast, you're like, if you fall off, you're dead, right? So it was fun being able to, like, kill jetpack guys when they're not over the platform and watching them just fall. Like, I'll shoot his jetpack. Okay. Gunslinger shoots his jetpack. The guy falls, and he's done. And then you just also have to be careful if anybody's pushing you to the edge. It's like, ah, don't get to the edge. I personally love using environment in my combats. I talked about one during the main episode. They fight this rabbit prince, and, you know, the land interrupts them because it's sentient and it you know bushes grow and holes open up another example i have of that was from something i ran a long time ago so what it's going through puberty what nothing Uh, nothing (laughs) go on terrible joke i'm gonna get it eventually and it's gonna be i'm gonna be like (sighs) bushes grow holes open up just it's fine (laughs) it wasn't funny they're like they're like they're like pimples grow yeah that's what i was referencing let's go what's on to the next thing uh, yeah But this is something I ran a long time ago. It was one of the first things I DM'd, and it was very, I want to say, like, video gamey in concept. They basically ran across all the lands, collecting all the different element kind of things, and they were in the sand area. And there was a really long, old, forgotten kingdom. All the people turned to sand, and all the buildings turned to sand, or was decaying and turning into sand. And, like, one of the only beings left was the king of this place, and he himself was, like, the Sand King, and he was mostly made of sand. He had all the weapons of all his generals that had died before him, because they eventually turned to sand, the whole place was cursed. So he had, like, these three floating scimitars, they were in a giant throne room where everything had turned to sand. And not just having this giant cloud sand dude fighting them, he was just one person, I had to add something else, so I gave him dominion over sand, of course. During people's turns, pillars of sand would burst from the ground and knock them into the air. Sinkholes would open up. Uh, the sand would start moving to the side or backwards, kind of like a treadmill that they would have to run on. Quicksand was obviously an encounter there. I, when he started dying, he made a giant, like, blender pit hole that he was at the bottom of with all his scimitars spinning <laughs> around. I like the idea of, like, you know when you go to a airport and they have those moving sidewalks? Yeah. It's just a conveyor belt just going flat. I, I just like the idea of that in a battle where it's just like constantly everything's these moving sidewalks. You need to do you need to have walls on the side of these and they're going so fast you can't go against them. So it's like in Pokemon Red and Yellow and Blue, the original ones, where like you had to go through the maze of Team Rockets area. You ever play that game? Um, I have. I don't remember exactly. Everyone's judging you right now. I want you to know I'm that. I'm sure they are. Guys, I'm a part of your group. I'm with you and cool and hip. I played the first Pokemon, you know, 20 years ago, whenever it came out. Um, anyway, uh, that'd be fun to just do that. We're like, oh, I guess I can't go back that way. I really like that idea. Either yeah, that or it's really just a fun. convenient way to get one from one end to the other, and the guy's just trying to be nice to them. <laughs> yeah, come on. I want to beat you up. Come here. Come on. Get off your feet. I know you've been tired. Listen, walking on sand. I know. I know. Let's talk about Ioma Day. I told you early in the, epi- uh, in the main episode about how I had them fight gods. Ioma Day was one of them. And she is an example of complete skinning. I know the last one I kind of mentioned skinning a little bit well, but this one, uh, the Ioma Day, like I don't have, there's no stats for a boss, at least not in the, the main hardcover books. And so I'm like, um, um, God of the Sun, God of the Sun. She's a phoenix, bam, done. 
And so I just took a phoenix and I skinned her to be the god Ioma Day. I think we've changed another a stat or two together. But uh, they ended up going through this another environment one. The environment was a maze and they had to get through the maze to try to get to the end of Ioma Day. And there was big runes painted on the floor. And every once in a while she would activate these runes and they would take the stone floor and just they would come up into the form of a stone golem. Activate, you know, the whole idea was like that these runes made the turn of the stone into golem. And they would, they're, they're really, really tough. They're uh, hard, especially for the level my players were at. And so they would, you know, defeat them, get to the end. And one of my players had kind of gone ahead of everybody else. Oh, I'm sorry. No, uh, most of my players got to anybody else, but one had a slow movement speed, so he was still kind of like in the maze. And they were beating up Ioma Day, and she does the thing that a um, phoenix can do when she resurrects her allies. And all the stone golems come back to life. And they look back, and there is, they're waving high to their one player who's surrounded by all the golems that they had left behind and thought were dead. And they were like, uh, <laughs> so pretty much we have one turn to kill her, right? I'm like, well, if he wants to live, probably. And then, the, of course, they ended up killing her. And it was, yay, we beat the day, victory, no one died, yay, no TPK. <laughs> but it's just a fun one to do. Skinning is always important to do. And we'll talk more about that in our episode, um, either premates versus homebrews or uh, storytelling tips. Uh, but it also, you have the environment combined with the resurrection mechanic, which I think is something you shouldn't use too often. Because uh, uh, if it doesn't catch them by surprise, it's not fun. But if you catch your players by surprise, you you rarely think about what you leave behind you when they're dead. But when they all come right. back to your life, you're like, oh, now we're surrounded. Or now one of our players is back with 20 guys. And you can't, like, leave, you can't, like, knock over their piece on the map and just leave it there. Because then they're going to know that you're planning something with the corpse. Like, right, Usually of you just take the token off the map and you're like, oh, we left it there. It's, gonna, it's important. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I leave it there for uh, big creatures regardless just to make it difficult terrain. Like, there's a corpse there to get over. Right. I don't know if that's rules, but I just do that. Is that what rules is written? I, yeah, I think corpses are supposed to be difficult terrain. It's a little annoying. Okay. Well, I guess, like, I I guess I'm thing. a little like, bit with... annoying then, Christian. <laughs> with really big corpses, I do do that as well. But for, like, mooks, I don't really bother. Yeah, who cares about a goblin? is not. You, you step on them, <laughs> you squish them. It's like walking through jam or something. Oranges. Just a, pa- just a pile of oranges. That's it. My next encounter. Oranges everywhere. <laughs> orange elemental. <laughs> the dreaded the... orange golem rises. <laughs> the, the Florida orange elemental. With extra pulp. Uh, I think skinning is not just skinning is really important but just twisting mechanics is important like you don't have to be restricted by the description of a spell you can change it like you have complete opportunity to do that and i'm going to give an example of when i did that this was also in the harrowing caleb didn't get to experience this there was a fight and as described in the book it was just three shadow demons shadow demons can use telekinesis at will they can use um soul jar which i'll explain in a minute and they can hide in darkness they can hide in plain sight as long as there's like dim light or darkness and as the fight was written all that was going to happen is that one of them one of the three shadow demons was going to just hide in the dark and cast telekinesis to throw people around the room which uh i should mention the room was a kitchen it was a really it was a actually pretty small kitchen and the other two were just going to cast soul jar the way soul jar works is you get some vessel which is typically a really expensive like gem and you put your soul in the gem And then from there, you can force your soul into someone else's body, and then their soul goes into that gem, and you control their body for as long as you basically want to. It's like an hour per level or something. And then during that whole time, your body is just unconscious and dead and just sitting somewhere completely vulnerable. And the 
The book didn't describe, like, okay, what are they using as a jar? They didn't have any gems in their inventory. What are they doing with their bodies? Because this is a really small kitchen, so what are they doing? And it was a really dangerous encounter because, you know, if they possess the wrong people and they fail their will saves, they're just going to turn around and full round action everyone, and it's yeah. going to be a pretty boring TPK potential fight. And they weren't supposed to be, like, really big enemies. They're supposed to be, like, you walk in this room and fight them. So I decided to change everything around. It didn't say what they used as jars. I was like, okay, so what are they going to use? Why not objects in the kitchen? Why does it have to be a gem? They chose a jar of honey and a bag of flour as the vessels for people's souls. And what they did is they stuffed themselves inside of kitchen cabinets so that their unconscious bodies were invisible inside these dark cabinets while they were fighting, while the other guy was fighting. So people walk in, they get possessed, and their souls, I'm like, you you, you get your soul sucked out of you, and you see that you are inside of a jar, inside of one of the kitchen cabinets. And that gave them something to do. Normally you'd just be sitting there like, well, right. I guess I'm, I'm stuck in this gem. And so he was like, I'm going to run into the side of the jar until it gets knocked over, and it made a noise. And I was like, you guys hear something, you know, bump in one of the cabinets. So how the fight ended up going is that, you know, you have one person trying to fight off the shadow demon. You have someone else trying to fight off the teammates without killing them that are possessed. And you just have this one guy running around throwing open kitchen cabinets trying to find the demon's bodies before they wake up and their friend's souls. Because I had it so that if they opened the jar, they opened the bag of flour, the soul would just return to their body. Interesting. So it gave, it gave the, everyone something to do during the fight rather than you get possessed, you're just kind of stuck there. That's so important. When a player just sits by, it's really boring. And sometimes it happens, and you can deal with it habits once in a while. I think in a battle on the same campaign, listen, guys, we've only ever played the harrowing. Um, <laughs> Together. <laughs> uh, in that campaign, uh, we were fighting some clockwork dude or something, and, and he, he cast a suggestion on me, and he's like, go away. And I was like, I have to go now. And I walked away, <laughs> and for like three, two or three turns, I'm just running away. Go to a bar and get a drink, right? It's just, you know, that happens sometimes. I get over I wasn't upset about it. That's what happens. But when you can do something like that where you elegantly gave a player who shouldn't have anything to do now that his soul's taken away, you've given him something to do now. And I don't know if that happened, but you it's important enough, like, he's like, in the jar, you see the guy stuff in the cabinet. And you're like, you try to get their attention so they can kill the guy, his, his unoccupied body. Yeah, yeah, that's what ended up happening. That's why they were throwing, like, they found the one and they were, like, throwing open the cabinet. It's like, where's the other one? Where's the other right, one? Right, <laughs> That's very elegant and, and a good solution to that. Because, like, okay. as Soul Jar as written, it, it's a pretty boring spell. You get possessed. And I just had a lot of leeway as to what to work with. Right. You know, I didn't have to say, like, oh, you get Soul Jar cast on you. You know how Soul Jar works. Let's go. Like, I got to mix it up. They're like, what's going on? Oh, no, he's in a jar of honey. That's so quirky and interesting. Speaking of elegantly creating a battle, let me talk about one time that I flubbed it. <laughs> uh, when when I, in my early in my career, I had my players go against a, a clockwork in a clockwork factory. They had to get through a dungeon that was a clockwork factory, get to the end, grab something, and get out. Right. Well, foolish Caleb wasn't paying attention to CR and the clockwork, especially together, were a lot more difficult to fight than my players. Um, than should have been for my players. So my players uh, would get creamed, and I'd be like, oh no, there's like, they just got through the first encounter, this is a dungeon, there's like seven more, what do I do? And it was just like, they were like, can we get back in our carriage? I'm like, yes, yes you can. Okay, we'd like to go back to town and heal up. I'm like, okay, you go do that. And so the... <laughs> the dungeon, which should have taken a day, took like a month, like four weeks, because they would go back, take three days to travel, go back to town, three days to get back, do a day of fighting, get creamed, come back, and then end up nobody dying. You just keep when you get hurt enough to go back. It's a terrible way. Uh, there's a lot of better ways to solve that. Caleb could have just 
turn the stats down on the clockwork. Um, I did try to do one thing which ended up helping the clockwork spies, which are little like mechanical spiders that have recordings on them. They can audio record. Uh, I had them patrol the halls. And as long as my players could avoid them, they could go past the other clockwork uh, soldiers. Clockwork soldiers, they power down. And uh, if something wakes them up, you know, they'll come back up and then they can fight and they get initiative on all that, right? So I had them that they could not wake up on their own, which is not the rules. This is me changing it. They could only wake up if the clockwork spy spotted somebody and sounded an alarm. So my players were actually able to bypass some encounters. They didn't bypass them all, but they bypassed some by skillfully avoiding these clockwork spies that are moving around. Um, but certainly there's a lot of better ways to fix it than just have your players spend six days in between battles to go here. <laughs> and stuff <laughs> learn from me in that one <laughs> but it, it did do this one thing which has been successful in every campaign i've had in my world everyone is afraid of clockwork start <laughs> to a, finish i was about to ask that are they just terrified every time the yes. clock goes off you're like you walk into a room there's a grandfather clock oh no <laughs> kill it kill it with fire <laughs> no fire doesn't work what do we do <laughs> for the for the record so you guys can know out there electricity damage in the half uh, they, um, yeah, so from then on, like, when they were, the Empire had a clockwork army, they are like, um, let's never get the Empire mad at us, because we're <laughs> afraid of these things now, right? <laughs> They're crazy, and then, and, you know, later on in the future, someone had beaten the Empire and taken over some of the clockwork, so whenever they would come across, like, Daryl the Clockwork and stuff, they'd be like, oh no, this is not good. And my players in, in the campaign now that's going on in Trailblazers, you know, that empire has the clockwork and, and my players encountered it and it creamed them because – and this I did very on purpose. Here's, here's – this is a good example to show the difference between making a mistake, sending something that's too powerful at somebody and doing it on purpose. I think it's a very difficult balance to, to make an encounter that you want your players to find out that they can't beat. It's very difficult because players sometimes don't figure that out quick enough and then they get crushed and there's a TPK and you're like, that's not what I meant to happen. And it's just not a good situation. Um, so what happened was my players had to get into the plague lands and the plague lands were being patrolled by clockwork, uh, soldiers to make sure nobody gets in or out. So nobody contracts the plague or go spreads it out to everybody else. And so my players tried to run in between, uh, the patrols. And of course, one of my players wearing full plate mail didn't make a good acrobatics check. Um, <laughs> it must be not so good. So he got into battle and the players came back to try to fight it and they could not kill clockwork. And they were like, oh, no, this sucks. And so they ended up trying to, like, run and all that. And they had, like, very little health left. It was something they, they, they realized they had to run from. Because from the beginning, they, they knew we got to try to avoid them. And by accident, you got in combat with them. Let's see if we could still try to get away. And they are very scared of them now at any point whenever there's any sort of thing where, like, they're in a different nation now. And somebody asked them, what do you guys think of the clockwork? And me and my players were like, don't ever do anything with them ever, ever, never, ever, never. Just avoid them. They're bad, bad things. Even people who they're supposed to protect are scared of them because they're robots and sometimes there's errors. I play, as players, you're like, cat meowing. Oh, my God, hold it up. <laughs> oh, my God, hi! <laughs> Do you like cats, Christian? I love pets in general. I don't have a dog anymore, so I'm lonely. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. You had my me neighbor's cat hangs out here, but I can't let him in my house because it's my neighbor's cat. You, you had me for a while. My name means dog. I must have made you very happy. <laughs> when my brother found out my name means dog, I got no end of teasing. It does? It does. It means dog, and it means faithful. Guess which one my brother liked to mention? <laughs> The Jewish word Kalev, my name's Caleb, so Kalev means dog. No one in Jewish history ever would name their child Caleb. It'd be like if you named your kid dog, which made it all the more ironic when the guy who I'm named after in the Bible, he was not a Jew 
but he was adopted into the Jewish family. He's one of the few Gentiles before Jesus died. They got to be saved. So mm-hmm. it was like, they literally named him Dog. It's like, we'll give you a Jewish name. It's Kalev. No, it's a good name. All secretly laughing at themselves that they named this guy Dog. I had no idea. It's a little, no idea. A little biblical history for you. All right, back to what we were talking about. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah, so my players, yeah, now they're afraid of clockworks. It's a good way. You, there's occasionally time when you want, planned or not, your players to be afraid of something. One GM I was talking to was talking about how uh, he just had an encounter with Knowles, and the Knowles happened to do yeah, like crits and stuff and really beat up the players, but the players end up winning barely at the end. So he didn't intend for Knowles to be a scary thing, but it just so happened. So later on, he took advantage of that. He was like, oh, what's that? You guys hear a howl in this cave, and out comes a couple men, and they transform where Knowles. <laughs> and so he just played like, oh they're that. just people oh no they're also gnolls <laughs> it's always fun i think every every campaign has the one thing that kind of becomes the running joke in it this is actually one my friend ran in his campaign it was a very silly campaign it was sky pirates we were in a coliseum and we were fighting going through like a gauntlet of fights and the last fight was this the door opens up and we had just fought like things the size of dragons and a bunch of really epic stuff and the door opens up to the coliseum and our next opponent is just like a black puddle on the ground and we're like what the heck is this and we start like shooting arrows at it and it shoots arrows back at us like it it caught catches the arrows because it's kind of like an ooze and it shoots them back at us and eventually it gets close enough to someone and it grabs them and like takes them into it and then it takes their shape and starts fighting us as them. And it was just the most oh, interesting no. fight because we had to make the choice of like trying to pull the person out of the ooze and then have it try and absorb someone else and become them. Or leave whoever it grabbed inside of it and be like, we can handle this person. It's okay. Oozes are, are, are tough. If you're going to throw them in, you gotta be, you're going to have some fun with your players. You're that kind of guy. Oozes are tough. I remember uh, one of Chris Perkins' campaigns. A guy threw a knife and he said the knife stops about five feet in front of you. And, you're, you, and for like the longest, they couldn't figure out. And then like you just saw the player's eyes wide and he goes, oh my gosh. Is that a clear ooze? And Chris Burke is like <laughs> smiling and shaking his head. He's like, maybe. <laughs> Oozes can be tough. Oh my god. Especially at early levels when you don't have the tools to beat them. Even late levels. Um, in Rise of the Ruin Lords, my players were like level 13 and ran across a mustard ooze with the demonic template. That thing was so stupid. It had, like, ridiculous DR. It had, like, five attacks per round. If you hit it, it just randomly splits into two equally strong portions. The demonic template gave it smite goods, so it got, like, plus 13 damage on all its attacks. Its CMD was ridiculous, and arbitrarily, lightning healed it. So one of my pl- one of my players cast lightning arc on it. I was like, okay, you just gave it two hundred and fifty one hit points. Good job. <laughs> Hope you it passed was, it yourself. It was really. I mean, it wasn't his fault. He had no reason to expect that. I right. Mean, I think it. I think it was yellow, but like that's not a thing with oozes. Typically, I don't think it's not like if you cast fire at a red ooze, it's gonna be like, oh, I love this. <laughs> he was like, no, I'm gonna use the spell I, I have whenever it regains health. <laughs> that someone someone almost died there. They came very close to dying. I'm not sure which podcast it was. I think it was Flagons and Dragons, which was, I'm boy, I wish it was still going. There was an actual play podcast. They still have a lot of cool stuff up if you want to listen to them. Uh, they they encountered oozes in like an abandoned old factory, right? It's like a, it was a post-apocalyptic campaign. So like there was, you know, derelict factory that you find. And, and it was like a bunch of science experiments and there was these oozes. But what the guy had put around like these vats of stuff on uh, the ceiling up high or on the walls up high. And so like the players could destroy these things and these vats would 
dump like liquid nitrogen or something on the oozes. So it gave the players another way to beat them if they were smart and looked around and tried to use their environment to their advantage. It's always fun when you put in things like that. I've said stuff where like there's a cannon on the field and maybe my players use it, maybe they don't, but there's an option there if they think about it to try to use it. And that's an especially effective option against oozes. I, I really like that because like they move really slow and they're not intelligent. So you can lure them right under the vats. They'll have no idea and they're slow enough that you know you can do that. Right. The next thing I want to talk about is a spoiler for Trailblazers. So don't listen if you haven't listened to Chapter 2. Or if you don't care, listen. I don't control you. Do what you want. <laughs> so Freddy Krueger, let's talk about this guy. Freddy Krueger is a guy that David had, uh, had come from David's world. And they had two types of encounters with him. One in the dream world and one in the real world. In the dream world, they could make different roles and stuff and they could attack him. But of course, if you know anything about Nightmare on Elm Street, whatever happens to him, He's just kind of faking it. He's he's playing with you, having fun. Like, oh no, you've cut off my finger, and then he blink, you blink, and it's back, and he's laughing at you. Now his fingers a chainsaw, and he's killing you. Right? That's that's Freddy Krueger in, in in the nightmare world. He would toy with them, constantly toying with them and play with them. And what, if you realize, and if you know anything about the series, is that in in like in Dream Warriors, the third film, I think, you can when you realize you're dreaming, you can make changes now. So I'd have my players every once in a while make a will save. And if they made it, they would realize they were dreaming. And if they didn't, they wouldn't. And different things would allow them to make a will save. When something super crazy happened, because they're in a dream world, things just seem normal to them. Like, oh, okay, there's a castle in my house. That doesn't make sense with the laws of physics, but whatever. But if something really crazy would happen, my players would have a moment of perhaps clarity where I'd make them make another will save. And then they'd be like, wait a second, that's not real. Oh, I'm in a dream, whatever. So when my players finally realized, like right before he was uh, drowned to death, he had realized I'm in a dream. And he immediately he's like, I got this. All right. I change everything. I'm like, all right, how do you change it? He made like this tall platform in a bottomless pit. And it was just him. And he's like in a karate gi because he is a person who in real life knows martial arts. And he had, and and I'm like and he's like just mocking he's he's like come on Kruger and Kruger's just mocking him from you know the abyss like uh, you can't stop me you think you can change whatever that and my player playing off of he knows that Kruger uh, is very he gets his power from people believing in him was like yeah whatever I don't believe you exist so Kruger appeared in front of him like I exist David didn't waste one second he's like okay I do that get over here move from Mortal Kombat from Scorpion <laughs> and I grab him and pull me and I hold him and then I just do my best to wake up right and through a course of events they wake up and Kruger's brought into the real world now the rules change now I have to deal with the real rules so he got up and they had a fight and he had hit points and and it was just a normal battle with Freddy Krueger uh except you know two of my their other players were already still awake so they had to choose do we try to wake up our players to try to help or are we going to deal with Krueger just us two versus him and it was just a, it was a fun uh battle that transcended from two different ways if I did it just the dream world or just the real world I don't think it would have been as fun as transitioning one right into the other dream world wake up he's right there immediate threat people are asleep this is trouble for the real world version of Kruger did you make up his own stats or did you did you reskin some sort of monster I think I made him up because he was uh, another spoiler for Trailblazers is uh, that things that come through usually have uh, influence from multiple sources. So Freddy Krueger was actually Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees. He wore Jason's mask. So he had the big mass of him. He also had a machete uh, as well as his claw hand. So he wasn't easy to kill like Krueger would be in real life. Uh, the only reason Kruger ever like has any fun in real life and is is a, is a threat is because he's usually fighting kids. When you're fighting a guy in full plate male paladin and a guy with a pistol, you know it's like Kruger's gonna die in a second. So he was Jason <laughs> had the had that you know massive hit points takes you can cut off his hand, but it doesn't matter because he's Jason. What does he care? 
cut his head and his head still blinks whatever it's weird uh so you know i just made somebody who had a lot of hit points uh, a heart attack and stuff like that once in a while you know it's probably wrong of me but once in a while i might do that we're like i expect my players i know them they're gonna do these three attacks so i know that he's gonna need will save and he's gonna need an ac and he's gonna need a flat-footed ac all right cool and the player might do something that i don't expect like he does a spell that requires a reflex save and i'm like oh now i have to make up on the spot a reflex save i do that once in a while i try to judge it when i don't think they're going to be doing a bunch of crazy things i don't have to come up with a billion stats i don't make a whole skill tree for him because i don't expect that they'll be using any of his skills in this battle i'm going to bring back something i mentioned earlier the uh the lantern archons they like i said they came back and if you actually look at the Lantern Archon stat block, they have an ability called Gestalt, where if 10 Lantern Archons are in the same place, they can join together, and they can make a the Transformer noise? <laughs> yeah, but the way it works is that they say just you, it becomes what is essentially a large air elemental, use the large air elemental stats. I was like, forget that. That is so... I'm going to do something so much cooler with Gestalt. So the, the, the Lantern Archon comes back and it's really angry at them for murdering them. And like, as it's talking, like more showing up and more showing up and more showing up. And you, it did what you said. They made the transformer noise. Nice. And they went together and basically <laughs> a, two fists and a big head. And so instead of having one thing to fight, it was one thing with three different sections. It had one nice. hand that was like shooting lasers out of it. It had another hand, which was a sports broadcast, and it was throwing sports-based things at them. <laughs> it was uh, throwing baseballs and footballs and hockey pucks. Uh, and then it had the head, which was just angry and running into people and acted kind of like a swarm. And I just, that was a fight where I, like, ad-libbed everything. I didn't come in with the idea of it having any abilities. I just rolled with it. So the, the fists, they all had their own initiative. The one goes up to someone and hits them. And I was like, you know what? It has the awesome blow feet. You get knocked back 15 feet. <laughs> um, when someone was on the floor, the other head went, the head went over it and, like, shot a laser straight down. I let them have a reflex save to roll out of the way of it. It was all very cinematic and stuff. The one guy, like, I didn't even expect this. Like, the one was throwing sports equipment at it and he's like i hold up my club like a baseball bat and say pitch it to me and <laughs> had to make an attack roll against the projectile and hit it back at them and it killed one of them that's funny you know and i think this one we'll talk about in gm philosophies i think there's nothing wrong with coming up with stuff on the spot or even ahead of time when you create your own custom stuff like that um long as it is to the player's favor when it comes to the fun factor, it could be against their favor right. when it's like it has a high AC. That's obviously not to favor the players. Uh, but, you know, if it's fun for them, why not? Why not create that custom monster? It sounded like that was a whole lot more fun than a big air elemental. Yeah, it. I think it definitely was. And, like, just because it can be fun without having to necessarily be beneficial to them. Like, when one of them got knocked back with Awesome Blow, they thought that was hilarious. They <laughs> flew 15 feet away over the halfling's head and landed behind them. <laughs> They were like, oh my god, it has awesome blow. Oh no, it's going to hit us all the time. Let me talk about a uh, gauntlet or gambit. I forget what, how we uh, phrased it and labeled it in the main episode. I had, um, uh, it was sort of like a dungeon where you have a bunch of encounters to deal with, but there was no dungeon involved. They were part of a tournament, which by the way, I think every anime needs to have a tournament and every Pathfinder campaign should have a tournament in there somewhere. So of course, how to hit that trope up, there was a tournament that, that my players participated in and they wanted to win because they needed the victory thing for a quest. It was some special object. So each time they entered the tournament, they had to fight a team. It was the team of my players versus a team of whatever else entered the tournament. And when you do something like that, you have to consider because there's no dungeon in between each area, you have to make sure that those encounters are really interesting. 
they don't have to the padding out of interesting puzzles and things in a dungeon where you can just have a bunch of goblins and a bugbear without any interesting mechanic because there's more interesting things to come in part of the dungeon. That's not true in a tournament setting. So I had to make sure that each engagement, each encounter was fun and interesting in its own way. It was cool because like the, the, the stadium could change each area. So like one time it was a forest, the next time it has all these pits and lava, and this time it has this, and this time it has that. Or, you know, once in a while it was just flat just because the, the battle was so interesting. Um, so it was just let me go over a couple of these these things they fought against. One was called, uh, the team was called the Pale Strangers, and it was a team of Pale Strangers, which are... Um, these such gunslinger undead gunslingers, right? That are insane. They have like 10 attacks and, and they're crazy. Um, ver- and shays. Shays are these uh, kind of semi-ethereal um, outsider darkness shadow people, right? Shadow people is a lot better because they're not t- technically ethereal. And they do a lot of cold damage and stuff. And they would have just rocked my players. And this wasn't the first battle they came across. But in this, um, the gun I had a gunslinger in my party. So outside of before the match, the gunslinger came up to uh, – the pale stringer came up to the gunslinger and was like mocking him. was like, you can't beat us. The gunslinger's – he's just – what's the while he does something really fun or interesting. And he's like, that's it. Throw down right now. Puts a gun in his hip. And it was like high noon and they were about to like pull triggers. <laughs> and they ended up striking a bargain instead of trying to kill each other right there. They're like, me – and you in the tournament, not not our teams, just me and you. And the pale stringer shot back. All right, we'll do two v two. You pick one other guy. I'll pick one other person. And that's what we ended up doing was a two v two. I don't like that the fact that my the other players it was a play of four or five. I forget at the moment. Uh, you know they had to sit in the bleachers and watch. But you know they showed me that they were all enjoying what was happening, so I felt okay to do it. It's not something I would do very often. But that way, something that would have creamed their team if it was four pale strangers and a shay or three pale strangers and two shays probably would have creamed way too high CR. Having just one and one versus two, it just it balanced it out a little bit better. And so I was able to kind of make that fun and interesting. And, of course, my players won. Uh, the Dark Ones, which was uh, a bunch – you know, like the Dark Creatures just recently in the newest bestiary. They let us uh, have them as a player type, a player uh, race, like Dark Stalkers, Dark Slayers. You know what I'm talking about? I wasn't aware that they didn't know. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, uh, I forget exactly what the the name of them is. I'll look. Dark Folk or Caligny. Oh, oh, Dark Folk. Okay. So they these things they're, they're, they're like they've long been like in every bestiary that's come out and they've just been like there's this race that lives underground and this is what they're called dark folk and they do this and this and that. So they're to, the ones with the they have like rags on them, right? Yes, all the time they got okay. like blue skin, very dark skin. Anyway, uh, I had, since there's so many of them, I said you know it'd be cool. What if they had to fight all of them? So we have a team here. I know that they're fighting a team. So I had a bunch of the dark ones, dark stalk from the, all the books spreading across the whole book. Dark stalkers, dark slayers, dark callers, dark dancer. And the dark callers summoned another weird creature called like an umph or something. I forget what it's called. Uh, and it was just interesting being able to use like an entire race of creatures. It's something you don't often get to do. Usually it's like if, say you were going through the dungeons and the deep places of the Dark Ones, you'd fight some of them, but it's a rare chance that you'd fight everyone that's been in the book. If, For example, if, if you wanted to fight every orc-flavored beast, that's not going to happen, right? Or every were-creature. That's, it really happens. When you have like right. a were-crocodile, it's like amazing, and it's a very weird, peculiar thing. Speaking of where things, I thought that was so interesting. I did that with the lycanthropes. There was a team that was entirely made of lycanthropes. Each, uh, not all of them, but a great deal, many of them. Were rat, werewolf, were bear, were boar, were tiger, were crocodile, and were shark, and were bat. So I, 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 I think there's a few others still in there, but um, that's pretty much most of them. 
I think actually the 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 where jackal wares aren't wear jackals. They actually start out as jackals, like in turn, kind of human like instead of being a human that turns into a jackal. Go figure. I don't know why they made that distinction. So I didn't have them in there. But that was fun. And in, in, in the environment, I changed. There was like a bunch of different areas. There's a water area so that the shark could do something and the crocodile would do something. Jungle area for like the tiger and the boar and stuff. So my players could try to take them out of their element. I think they killed the shark guy on land because they're like, we're not going on the water. Are you crazy? Come out. <laughs> I'm imagining either of those teams as being the McBoyles from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I don't know if you've seen that show. They're an incredibly creepy family that have, like, terrible eczema and, like, they're not dressed entirely. They wear, like, bathrobes everywhere. They're just really creepy. Like, that's what I'm imagining, like, the dark folk as. It's like, you're all about to get taken hostage. Yeah. Oh, no. (laughs) Can you squeal like a pig, boy? (laughs) The, uh... The lycanthropes, I also, because it's a lycanthrope, you can be inflicted with it. I had already set a precedent at the end of each match in a tournament. Everyone is completely magically healed of both injuries and diseases and poisons. So my players didn't have to worry too much about, oh, no, I was bit by the werewolf in the battle. Uh, since it was an entire team of lycanthropes. Right, right. It's nice to have people be able to fight stuff and not have to have, like, an entire side quest afterwards. Right. Like, oh, no, you got bit by the werewolf. We better go get some wolf's mane. Right. Uh, I had a team called the Tremors, which was two storm giants, and they had dozens of kamikaze goblins in, like, a backpack that they wore. So they would take out the, the goblins, <laughs> throw them on the ground, and let them just run, like, banelings from StarCraft at players, and they'd be like, shoot that thing, shoot that thing, next turn it's gonna reach me. <laughs> I love that. And so when they killed one of the gi- the giants, it fell on its back, and it just massively exploded, and all the suicide goblins on the back of them that had all that TNT just exploded, and they were like, yeah. <laughs> I, obviously, that was something. I don't think there are kamikaze goblins. I just had to make them. Uh, and storm giants don't typically come with a backpack full of goblins, but, you know. <laughs> of course there's kamikaze goblins. There's CR1 goblins with, like, 18 alchemist fires in their backpack. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Um, I had a team of elementals. Now, I couldn't just do where, like, I throw every elemental in there. A, when I was doing all the werewolves, I realized that immediately this was a bad idea because I had to have, like, nine books open and nine different pages. And, oh, 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 wait, which one was it? Let me flip through and make sure it was that one's AC. That was, that was a, that's tough to do when you have so many different creatures. When you have five goblins, you can still look at the one goblin page. When you have eight different creatures, you have to look at eight different pages. Uh, So the elementals, not only did I not do that, but I figured, listen, elementals always have, like, four pre-made versions. A light one, a very small one, and then a big one, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So I could use some bigger ones. So I just took three elementals, a lightning elemental, a magma elemental, and an ice elemental. I picked the magma just because it was one of my players had never come across before. I picked the lightning because it could fly. I thought that would be interesting. And some of my players had, like, metal on them, and lightning elementals do interesting things with metal. And then an ice elemental just to give them something they had, they were had familiar, uh, they were familiar with. And it was just an interesting, tough battle. I think that would end up being one of the tougher battles because elementals are no joke, uh, especially right. when you get to higher levels of them. Um Nightwalkers, which was a team of two vampires, only two because vampires are ludicrously powerful. The pre-made ones built as beasts and beast sherry. Um, when they and because they have things like dominate person, I could turn their allies, uh, uh, my players' allies, into their enemies by doing right. by um, dominating person. So two that, was that more two than v for, that two v four suddenly becomes a three v three, and then suddenly becomes a four v two. And yeah, you got to be careful with any kind of domination. So, uh, but they, they beat them as well. And then the ones they lost to were, uh, I called them the Kami siblings and it was two Kami. Kami's a type of, uh, creature and one, uh, the Zuishin. Oh, I thought you meant like communists. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) they had sickles and hammers and they wore a lot of One had the hammer, one had the sickle. They crossed each other. They walked in tandem at the same time. They attacked at the same time with the exact same stats. You know, this is, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, you ever played Batman Arkham City? 
No, I haven't. They have like two guys like that. They're, they're, they're communists. They speak in, in an accent. They're big guys, and they were separated at birth. Like they each have one arm because they had shared a connection where their arm was. And that was the one had a hammer, one had a sickle, sort of thing. Um, <laughs> exactly that. No, uh, these are kind of like plant inspired creatures. Um, but they end up being uh, a little bit, my players end up losing. And then, you know what? And it wasn't um, because the battle was too powerful. It was my players didn't work together well enough. They had recently acquired a new player character, uh, a new. A new character, because one of my players had lost his character not too long ago. Actually, it may have been in one of the battles. I don't remember. Regardless, they had lost a character, so it was new, and they were still trying to work together with that person's abilities and learning that stuff. So they ended up losing the match, and, uh, you know, hey, listen, go through a tournament. You don't always win. And then those guys ended up being, like, the finalists, and they fought, like, a big old red dragon. My players later on just, like, hunted down that red dragon, and they're like, well, we beat the red dragon, so technically, you know, he beat those guys, so we kind of beat them, you know, a little bit of <laughs> So we, we just decided to go find the winner and murder him and steal the money for the tournament. It's precisely what they did. <laughs> but so that, that was a gauntlet where I had to try to make each battle interesting with not only what composed of the encounter uh, creatures-wise, but also I made sure the environment was different for each one. I think the only one that was plain old flat was the Tremors, the big storm giants, because they were just going to walk across the map anyway. And I, yeah, and I wanted the, the, the kamikaze dudes to have straight lines at my uh, players so that they had to deal with them. They couldn't just do Ring Around the Rosie for an hour. I got one last one that I thought like I was going to represent in an accurate way, and I thought that my players would catch on, but they didn't. I don't know if it's my fault or not. So l- let me tell you the situation as to what happened. Right. One of my players was a goblin. Uh, this is in Rise of the Rune Lords, and he made up his whole really intricate backstory. He has this whole society of goblins that had like this um, Easter, uh, Middle Eastern flavor to them. Um, he was a shadow dancer, so he had a shadow that follows him, and he made up a whole ritual in their society. He was basically like a holy assassin, and that's why he had the shadow that follows him. And he had to do a ritual to get it. Um, and he had a brother. His brother was a traitor. He wasn't anything special. He was just a really big tactician and stuff like that. And he was... They had to go talk to him. He had his own little city now, and they had to go talk to him. And when they went to talk to him, one of the monks... The, the goblins had blind monks. They had, like, cloth over their eyes, and they wore robes. And he was accompanying the evil brother guy. And then things happen. They end up fighting them. What I was going for is that the blind monk was a hostage. He was working against his will. And that's what I wanted the players to figure out in the middle of the fight. Uh, he Like, they had asked about him. I said he seemed unsure. Like, he seemed a little worried about what was happening. Um, in the fight, he didn't do anything until the evil brother said something. He was just sitting there. They didn't. Most of them didn't understand Goblin. So only the one player understood Goblin. He wasn't communicating with the other players at the time. Because he was, you know, elsewhere. He was there, but he was fighting. So he couldn't really speak. And then when he finally fought, he shot a fireball. And they were, like, level 12 or 13 at this point. And the fireball did 7. 7d6 damage and most of them made the reflex save and that to me was supposed to be like it'd be metagaming but that was a hint like this person isn't particularly powerful right like this person is working against his will you should probably help him but they ended up actually killing him because they're like he just shot a fireball at us he's a spellcaster oh my god kill him and they ended up actually killing him which is had pretty dire story implications that we ended up rolling with do you think i represented that the right way i mean like what's talk to me what would be the alternative to knocking him out, incapacitating him otherwise. Right. I mean, I think a way, like, whenever you have that question is, look at what else could I have done? And a lot of times, and I think in this case, you're like, what else I could have done? It's not as interesting as what happened. And I think a lot of times just things that catch you off guard help you to, um, you know, since you have to be on your feet and your players are really starting to take over storytelling then, you create things that as a GM you're not 
prepared to see and end up becoming really interesting. Like, what were the consequences of that? I'm sure it really was uh, changed the story. The player ended up losing his shadow. He kind of didn't want it anymore. He didn't want to be a shadow dancer anymore. Perfect. And I was going, <laughs> I was going to have the monk help him get rid of it or do something like that. But it, he ended up losing it in the capacity that it became its own evil entity and is going to come back to haunt them in some way. Which, you know, something interesting happened because yeah, That's of it. cool and awesome. Yeah. I mean, I know, because I was rolling with it, but, like, I'm just worried that I didn't represent the situation. Like, they all thought that guy was a huge threat, when really he wasn't. He was working against his will. He wasn't particularly right. powerful. He was scared for his life, and he got he got butchered right. immediately. And you know what? Let me... I, I don't even want to answer that question for this reason. It's going to happen to every GM where so, you make a mistake and everybody thinks, you know, a, play, a, a creature is too powerful or too weak. That is going to happen. So instead of... Oh, he was supposed to be too weak. That was the intention. Right. So instead of talking about how you could have changed that or fixed that or represented it differently, let's deal with that because player, uh, our GMs that listen to the show will deal with that. You just got to roll with it. You, you, it's it's dangerous to, to go back and to say, well, you know, that's not supposed to happen. Let your players think that's what was supposed to happen, whether it was or wasn't. And let that kind of turn into story moments like you did with the dark thing now being a, a, a new nemesis of, of kind. Right, and the player kind of like post the fight flavored it into his character and flavored it as the shadow took over him and made him do it. Like it changed the way he perceived his own character and his own shadow. Say you had done where they thought he was too powerful and ran away. Later on when they finally can find him and beat him up, they're like, what were we afraid of? This guy's a wimp. What the heck? I just had that happen with my uh, a game I'm playing online now that I'm continuing when we were doing our episode in life, in real life versus... Um, online uh one of the campaigns online that i'm doing uh this lady had um been like the general of an army that was fighting us and we beat this this um small force and she ran away and we saw her later on and we went over and we were like uh all right we gotta try to deal with her. We, we can try to deal with her so we did we made all these plans somebody i was a druid so somebody casted uh make pit underneath her so she fell in i turned into a uh, um earth elemental and i earth glide through the ground and just like charge her through the ground and punch her in the face and then <laughs> you know she transformed into a dragon and flew away and we later figured out she's the general of this army but she's known as a coward the reason they keep her around is she's a good tactician we're like why were we afraid of this girl and finding out she's a dragon is even like less impressive now because she's just gonna we just found out we bitch slapped a dragon excuse my language <laughs> And she just ran away. We're like, you're not afraid of this thing anymore that we were originally terrified of, general of an army. Thought we had to come up with all these cool plans to try to stop her. I wonder if she ever contemplated just turning to a dragon and fighting. She was like, oh, I better fly away. I better activate my flying form. Like, you know you have claws and fire breath, too. <laughs> what? No one told me. <laughs> this is awesome. Speaking of shadows, I want to talk about uh, an encounter that was so complex I asked you to help me. And this was the conclusion of a giant arc, a big chapter in my campaign. It really marked as that there was going to be a big change after this. Um, and it really tied up a whole lot of story. And this was my players, if you remember, had to fight shadow versions of themselves. Right. There was a warlock sort of guy. I know there's no warlock class in Pathfinder. There needs to be, by the way, Paizo. I want I want to just summon demons all day long. Um, and this, this thing, like, made versions of the party using shadows right and they had to defeat the shadows to to get to him 
And so because I'm like, well, now I have five player characters. I don't have five beasts. I can do five beasts. I have five player characters to deal with, right? It's hard to deal with the intricacies of each player character with all their feats and all their abilities and all stuff. So I'm like, Christian, you're a GM. Can you come and help me? So I gave you half of them and I took half of them. And because sometimes in battles, I'll go, um, I won't go light on my players, but I won't be optimal just to make it exactly an, i think that's really important an interesting encounter right i think some beasts if they were optimal would be crazy hard but exactly you don't yeah. always do the optimal thing um, and then i think it's the same thing in battle you're not always they're not always brilliant tacticians in the middle of battle you get tunnel vision it's like oh this guy's in front of me i'm gonna claw attack and when the real good move is that there's three guys in range of a fireball you should go probably fireball them instead but you know you have that tunnel vision that happens in battle so um so i think it's realistic to not always play a creature optimally but i said to christian play optimally don't cheat play optimally this is gonna this is a final encounter for them if players die i understand players die this is going to be a big i want this to be a conclusion if they want it i want it to be a hard fought real win my players walked into it fully healed so there's no advantage just for the shadows being new and fully healed it was fully healed had all their versions of their spells had everything they needed and they even had like heal potions and stuff in there and so me and you just fought them with their own characters. One guy had constantly, he was a gunslinger, and he constantly used that feat. He even signature deed it where he could shoot a, a body part, and he cho always chose the head to confuse them. So for like five rounds in a row, his shadow version shot him in the head. And and just by luck, every time I rolled a D percentile, it was always, he, uh, he was confused. He didn't do anything, or he hurt himself. He never was able to act normally. It's like five turns in a row. He was like, I can't do anything. Stop. You had... Is this what I've been doing to people? Yeah, I was in control of the, the sorcerer, and I was looking at a spell list, and he had a spell called uh, Sonic something, Sonic Cone. Uh, I forget exactly Sonic the name Boom. of Sonic yeah. Boom. Sonic Boom! He had to hold back for a second or two and then forward and punch button. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly um, how you do it. Correct. Absolutely correct. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's really interesting because I know they have a bunch of potions on them and they can see that the shadow versions have them on them. So he, I, I casted two spells that the player apparently had never used. I turned invisible, which the player hadn't used very often, and right. then I used the sonic spell, which broke their potions, which they weren't expecting. Like, they all looked at the sorcerer and they're like, how come you've never done that? <laughs> Yeah, you're right. When you said they didn't expect it, at one point, like my player was like, I, I go, I get my potions. I'm like, you cut your hand. He's like, what? And you put your hand and it's full of wet. And you realize all your potions are broken. And everyone was like, what happened? What happened? And then Christian's just smiling in the corner. I'm like, guys, remember that spell he just cast? And they're all like, that's when they all turned to the guy like, why haven't you ever done that? <laughs> <laughs> I think one, if not two of my players died in that battle. I think it was two. I know the gunslinger did. Yeah, I think the sorcerer did as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just um, the rogue and the ninja that survived. That ninja survived through the whole, all the whole entire year-long campaign. He survived. And um, that rogue, uh, uh, not rogue, I'm sorry. Ranger. Ranger, thank you. She survived uh, ever since she was introduced halfway through the halfway through the years so of six months. But regardless, um, that was, I think that was a lot of fun. And it made for, I know it's a, it's a, it's, um, it's a trope. But you, you, tropes are not wrong in themselves. What's wrong are um, stereotypes. There's a difference between a trope and a stereotype. Tropes exist because they're good storytelling. Uh, stereotypes exist because people don't feel like getting to understand other people. <laughs> uh, so I know it's a trope to have the players fight themselves. Ooh, Ooh. how creative. But I still think, and, and you were there, so you can tell me if I'm just looking through rose-colored rose glasses, my players really enjoyed that final encounter. I think the only problem with having players fight themselves, like identical versions of themselves, is that it kind of comes down to the initiative roles. 
your players won the initiative rolls really hard and killed the sorcerer super fast. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that's what saved the battle. If the other people had won initiative, I think they would have lost. And I think it'll go that way every time. So that that's the gamble you take when you do that. I don't think every but time... I, I definitely think it was interesting because they knew themselves and they knew, like, kill the sorcerer first. He's our spellcaster. We know exactly how to fight ourselves. Yeah, and I think that's that's another advantage. Regardless of initiative, they've worked together for sessions upon sessions upon sessions. You and I have not, especially at that time. That was the first time we ever had done anything together. Uh, so it was just like, I think before I just talked to you, I said, like, we're going to focus on these two. We'll end up at these two last. And that's all I said. And then we just did what we thought was cool. Meanwhile, they worked together. Like, they knew each other. They knew how each other fought. They knew to kill the sorcerer first, things like that. And it's always cool when you can kill yourself. <laughs> or when maybe you're mad at another player so you can kill his shadow version. I told you I could beat you up. Uh, uh, stab your shadow. So, guys, we'd love to hear about your encounters, ones that you participated in, maybe ones you designed or heard of. Uh, send us over an email at tblazernetwork at gmail.com or tweet us at at tblazernetwork. Get that unified branding, son. Uh, <laughs> we'd love to hear interesting encounters that you had, maybe lessons you learned from them. Thank you all for staying for extra credit. Class is dismissed. Pathfinder Academy is part of the Trailblazer Network. For other great Pathfinder podcasts, visit our site, tblazer.net. Want to get in touch? You can email us at tblazernetwork at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at tblazernetwork. I've been Nicholas Laborde. Thanks for listening.